Section 29 of the Extermination of the American Bison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Extermination of the American Bison by William T. Hornaday. The Smithsonian Expedition for Museum Specimens. Part 3. Chapter 2. The Hunt. Part 1 On September 24th I arrived at Miles City a second time, fully equipped for a protracted hunt for buffalo, this time accompanied only by W. Harvey Brown, a student of the University of Kansas, as field assistant. Having previously engaged three cowboys as guides and hunters, Irwin Boyd, James McNaney, and L. S. Russell, Messrs. Boyd and Russell were in Mile City awaiting my arrival, and Mr. McNaney joined us in the field a few days later. Mr. Boyd acted as my foreman during the entire hunt, a position which he filled to my entire satisfaction. Thanks to the energy and goodwill of the officers at Fort Keogh, of which Lieutenant Colonel Cochrane was then in command, our transportation, camp equipage, and stores were furnished without an hour's delay. We purchased two months' supplies of commissary stores, a team, and two saddle horses, and hired three more horses, a light wagon, and a set of double harness. Each of the cowboys furnished one horse, so that in our outfit we had ten head, a team, and two good saddle horses for each hunter. The worst feature of the whole question of subsistence was the absolute necessity of hauling a supply of grain from Mile City into the heart of the buffalo country for our ten horses. For such work as they had to encounter, it was necessary to feed them constantly and liberally with oats in order to keep them in condition to do their work. We took with us two thousand pounds of oats, and by the beginning of November as much more had to be hauled up to us. Thirty-six hours after our arrival in Miles City, our outfit was complete, and we crossed the Yellowstone and started up the Sunday Creek Trail. We had from Fort Keogh a six-mule team, an escort of four men, in charge of Sergeant Bayliss, and an old veteran of more than twenty years' service, from the 5th Infantry, Private Patrick McKenna, who was detailed to act as cook and camp guard for our party during our stay in the field. On September 29th we reached Toe's Ranch, the H.V., on Big Dry Creek, erroneously called Big Timber Creek on most maps of Montana, at the mouth of Sand Creek, which here flows into it from the southwest. This point is said to be ninety miles from Mile City, and here we received our freight from the six-mule wagon, loaded it with bleached skeletons and skulls of buffalo, and started it back to the post. One member of the escort, Private C.S. West, who was then on two months' furlough, elected to join our party for the hunt, and accordingly remained with us to its close. Leaving half our freight stored at the H.V. Ranch, we loaded the remainder upon our own wagon and started up Sand Creek. At this point the hunt began. As the wagon and extra horses proceeded up the Sand Creek Trail in the care of W. Harvey Brown, the three cowboys and I paired off, and while two hunted through the country along the south side of the creek, the others took the north. The whole of the country bordering Sand Creek, quite up to its source, 
consists of rugged hills and ridges which sometimes rise to considerable height cut between my great yawning ravines and hollows such as persecuted game loves to seek shelter in inasmuch as the buffalo we were in search of had been seen hiding in those ravines it became necessary to search through them with systematic thoroughness a proceeding which was very wearing upon our horses along the south side of sand creek near its source the divide between it and little dry creek culminates in a chain of high flat-topped buttes whose summits bear a scanty growth of stunted pines which serve to make them conspicuous landmarks on some maps these insignificant little buttes are shown as mountains under the name of piney buttes it was our intention to go to the head of sand creek and beyond in case buffaloes were not found earlier immediately westward of its source there is a lofty level plateau about three miles square which by common consent we called the high divide it's the highest ground anywhere between the big dry and the yellowstone and is the starting point of streams that run northward into the missouri and big dry eastward into sand creek and the little dry southward into porcupine creek and the yellowstone and westward into the mussel shell on three sides north east and south it is surrounded by wild and rugged butte country and its sides are scored by intricate systems of great yawning ravines and hollows steep-sided and very deep and bad lands of the worst description by the twelfth of october the hunt had progressed up sand creek to its source and westward across high divide to calf creek where we found a hole of wretchedly bad water and went into permanent camp we considered that the spot we selected would serve us as a key to the promising country that lay on three sides of it and our surmise that the buffalo were in the habit of hiding in the heads of those great ravines around the high divide soon proved to be correct our camp at the head of calf creek was about twenty miles east of the mussel shell river forty miles south of the missouri and about one hundred and thirty five miles from miles city as the trail ran four miles north of us also on calf creek was the line camp of the stv ranch owned by messrs j h conrad and company and eighteen miles east near the head of sand creek was the line camp of the n bar ranch owned by mr newman at each of these camps there were generally from two to four cowboys from all these gentlemen we received the utmost courtesy and hospitality on all occasions and all the information in regard to buffalo which it was in their power to give on many occasions they rendered us valuable assistance which is hereby gratefully acknowledged we saw no buffalo nor any signs of any until october thirteenth on that day while ellis russell was escorting our second load of freight across the high divide he discovered a band of seven buffaloes lying in the head of a deep ravine he fired upon them but killed none and when they dashed away he gave chase and followed them two or three miles being mounted on a tired horse which was unequal to the demands of the chase he was finally distanced by the herd which took a straight course and ran due south as it was then nearly night nothing further could be done that day except to prepare for a vigorous chase on the morrow everything was got in perfect readiness for an early start 
and by daybreak the following morning the three cowboys and the writer were mounted on our best horses and on our way through the badlands to take up the trail of the seven buffaloes shortly after sunrise we found the trail not far from the head of calf creek and followed it due south we left the rugged butte region behind us and entered a tract of country quite unlike anything we had found before it was composed of a succession of rolling hills and deep hollows smooth enough on the surface to all appearances but like a desert of sand hills to traverse the dry soil was loose and crumbly like loose ashes or scoria and the hooves of our horses sank into it halfway to the fetlocks at every step but there was another feature which was still worse the whole surface of the ground was cracked and seamed with a perfect network of great cracks into which our horses stepped every yard or so and sank down still farther with many a tiresome wrench of the joints it was terrible ground to go over to make it as bad as possible a thick growth of sagebrush or else greasewood was everywhere present for the horses to struggle through and when it came to dragging a loaded wagon across that twelve-mile stretch of bad grounds or gumbo ground as it was called it was killing work but in spite of the character of this ground in one way it was a benefit to us owing to the looseness on the surface we were able to track the buffaloes through it with the greatest ease whereas on any other ground in that country it would have been almost impossible we followed the trail due south for about twenty miles which brought us to the head of a small stream called taylor creek here the bad grounds ended and in the grassy country which lay beyond tracking was almost impossible just at noon we rode to a high point and on scanning the hills and hollows with a binocular discovered the buffaloes lying at rest on the level top of a small butte two miles away the original bunch of seven had been joined by an equal number we crept up to within two hundred yards of the buffaloes which was as close as we could go fired a volley at them just as they lay and did not even kill a calf instantly they sprang up and dashed away at astonishing speed heading straight for the sheltering ravines around the high divide we had a most exciting and likewise dangerous chase after the herd through a vast prairie dog town honeycombed with holes just right for a running horse to thrust a leg in up to the knee and snap it off like a pipe stem and across fearfully wide gullies that either had to be leaped or fallen into McNaney killed a fine old bull and a beautiful two-year-old or spike bull out of this herd while I managed to kill a cow and another large old bull making four for that day all told This herd of fourteen head was the largest that we saw during the entire hunt Two days later when we were on the spot with the wagon to skin our game and haul in the hides four more buffaloes were discovered within two miles of us and while I worked on one of the large bull skins to save it from spoiling the cowboys went after the buffalo and by a really brilliant exploit killed them all the first one to fall was an old cow which was killed at the beginning of the chase the next was an old bull who was brought down about five miles from the scene of the first attack and then two miles farther on a yearling calf was killed the fourth buffalo an immense old bull was chased fully twelve miles before he was finally brought down 
The largest bull fell about eight miles from our temporary camp, in the opposite direction from that in which our permanent camp lay, and at about three o'clock in the afternoon, there not being time enough in which to skin him completely and reach our rendezvous before dark, Messrs. McNaney and Boyd dressed the carcass to preserve the meat, partly skinned the legs, and came to camp. As early as possible the next morning we drove to the carcass with the wagon, to prepare both skin and skeleton, and haul them in. When we reached it, we found that during the night a gang of Indians had robbed us of our hard-earned spoil. They had stolen the skin and all the eatable meat, broken up the leg bones to get at the marrow, and even cut out the tongue. And to injury, the skulking thieves had added insult. Through laziness, they had left the head unskinned, but on one side of it they had smeared the hair with red war paint. The other side they had daubed with yellow, and around the base of one horn they had tied a strip of red flannel as a signal of defiance. Of course, they had left for parts unknown, and we never saw any signs of them afterward. The gang visited the El Ubar ranch a few days later, and so we learned subsequently it was then composed of eleven braves who claimed to be Assiniboines, and were therefore believed to be Pegans, the most notorious horse and cattle thieves in the Northwest. On October 22nd, Mr. Russell ran down in a fair chase a fine bull buffalo and killed him in the rough country bordering the high divide on the south. This was the ninth specimen. On the 26th, we made another trip with the wagon to the Buffalo Buttes. As for the sake of convenience, we had named the group of buttes near which eight head had already been taken. While Mr. Brown and I were getting the wagon across the bad grounds, Messrs. McNaney and Boyd discovered a solitary bull buffalo feeding in a ravine within a quarter of a mile of our intended camping place, and the former stalked him and killed him at long range. The buffalo had all been attracted to that locality by some springs which lay between the two groups of hills, and which was the only water within a radius of about fifteen miles. In addition to water, the grass around the Buffalo Buttes was most excellent. During all this time we shot antelope and coyotes whenever an opportunity offered, and preserved the skins and skeletons of the finest until we had obtained a very fine series of both. At this season the pelts of these animals were in the finest possible condition, the hair having attained its maximum length and density, and being quite new, had lost none of its brightness of color, either by wear or the action of the weather. Along Sand Creek and all around the high divide, antelope were moderately plentiful, but really scarce in comparison with their former abundance, so much so that had we been inclined to slaughter, we could have killed a hundred head or more, instead of the twenty that we shot, as specimens and for their flesh. We have it to say that from first to last, not an antelope was killed which was not made use of to the fullest extent. On the 31st of October, Mr. Boyd and I discovered a buffalo cow and yearling calf in the ravines north of the High Divide, within three miles of our camp, and killed them both. The next day Private West arrived with a six-mule team from Fort Keogh in charge of Corporal Claffer and three men. This wagon brought us another two thousand pounds of oats and various commissary stores. When it started back, on November 3rd, 
We sent by it all the skins and skeletons of buffalo antelope etc Which we had collected up to that date which made a heavy load for the six mules on this same day Mr. McNaney killed two young cow buffaloes in the badlands south of the high divide which brought our total number up to 14 on the night of the third the weather turned very cold and on the day following we experienced our first snowstorm by that time the water in the hole which up to that time had supplied our camp became so thick with mud and filth that it was unendurable and having discovered a fine pool of pure water in the bottom of a little canyon on the southern slope of the high divide we moved to it forthwith it was really the upper spring of the main fork of the big porcupine and a finer situation for a camp does not exist in that whole region the spot which nature made for us was sheltered on all sides by the high walls of the canyon within easy reach of an inexhaustible supply of good water and also within reach of a fair supply of dry firewood which we found half a mile below this became our last permanent camp and its advantages made up for the barrenness and discomfort of our camp on calf creek immediately south of us and two miles distant there rose a lofty conical butte about six hundred feet high which forms a very conspicuous landmark from the south we were told that it was visible from forty miles down the porcupine strange to say this valuable landmark was without a name so far as we could learn so for our own convenience we christened it smithsonian butte the two buffalo cows that mr mcnaney killed just before we moved our camp seemed to be the last in the country for during the following week we scouted for fifteen miles in three directions north east and south without finding as much as a hoof print at last we decided to go away and give that country absolute quiet for a week in the hope that some more buffalo would come into it leaving mckenna and west to take care of the camp we loaded a small assortment of general equipage into the wagon and pulled about 25 miles due west to the Muscle Shell River. We found a fine stream of clear water flowing over sand and pebbles with heavy cottonwood timber and thick copses of willow along its banks, which afforded cover for white-tailed deer. In the rugged breaks which led from the level river bottom into a labyrinth of ravines and gullies, ridges and hogbacks, up to the level of the high plateau above we found a scanty growth of stunted cedars and pines which once sheltered great numbers of mule deer elk and bear now however few remain and these are very hard to find even when found the deer are nearly always young although we killed five mule deer and five white tails we did not kill even one fine buck and the only one we saw on the whole trip was a long distance off we saw fresh tracks of elk and also grizzly bear but our most vigorous efforts to discover the animals themselves always ended in disappointment the many bleaching skulls and antlers of elk and deer which we found everywhere we went afforded proof of what that country had been as a home for wild animals only a few years ago we were not a little surprised at finding the fleshless carcasses of three head of cattle that had been killed and eaten by bears within a few months in addition to ten deer we shot three wild geese seven sharp-tailed grouse 
eleven sage grouse, nine bohemian wax wings, and a magpie for their skeletons. We made one trip of several miles up the Mussel Shell, and another due west, almost to the Bull Mountains, but no signs of buffalo were found. The weather at this time was quite cold, the thermometer registering six degrees below zero. But in spite of the fact that we were without shelter and had to bivouac in the open, we were, generally speaking, quite comfortable. Having found no buffalo by the 17th, we felt convinced that we ought to return to our permanent camp, and did so on that day, having brought back nearly half a wagon load of specimens in the flesh or half-skinned it was absolutely necessary that I should remain at camp all the next day. While I did so, Messrs. McNaney and Boyd rode over to the Buffalo Buttes, found four fine old buffalo cows, and after a hard chase killed them all. Under the circumstances, this was the most brilliant piece of work of the entire hunt. As the four cows dashed past the hunters at the Buffalo Buttes, heading for the high divide fully twenty miles distant. McNaney killed one cow, and two others went off wounded. Of course the cowboys gave chase. About twelve miles from the starting point, one of the wounded cows left her companions, was headed off by Boyd, and killed. About six miles beyond that one, McNaney overhauled the third cow and killed her, but the fourth one got away for a short time. While McNaney skinned the third cow and dressed the carcass to preserve the meat, Boyd took their now thoroughly exhausted horses to camp and procured fresh mounts. On returning to McNaney, they set out in pursuit of the fourth cow, chased her across the high divide within a mile or so of our camp and into the ravines on the northern slope where she was killed. She met her death nearly, if not quite, twenty-five miles from the spot where the first one fell. End of section 29